Kia ora everyone, this is Anderson's Odyssey. I'm Jacob Anderson and my guest today is Dr. Richard Newcomb. Richard is the Chief Scientist at Plant and Food. Uh, Richard, it's great to have you on the podcast. Kia ora and thanks for inviting me. Richard, I think um, first off, I think it'd be good to maybe um, let everybody know what exactly Plant and Food does and what your role is at Plant and Food. Sure. So Plant and Food Research is a Crown Research Institute, one of a number of similar entities that um, is a provider of research to a number of sectors uh, uh, within New Zealand. We specifically look after a lot of the, the um, plant production uh, sectors, so everything from horticulture, um, kiwi fruit and apples, through arable, uh, through um, through to uh, seafood as well. So we also have a, um, a group that looks at developing new uh, aquaculture and um, uh, fish harvesting technologies. Um, my role within the organization is chief scientist. So I kind of set uh, um, science strategy, especially for the more fundamental research within the, within the organization. Um, and also just do a lot of work around sort of uh, science quality assurance. So making sure that we're up with the play on all the kind of internationally um, best and most relevant science um, uh, for the work that we do. And I think it's probably um, something that everyone's conscious of, but not had a lot of thought or doesn't really know what direction the world is heading in. But as we have this growing production, there's this increased demand on food, how we produce food. Um, both from a nutritional standpoint, but also from a sustainability standpoint. What are some of the trends or what are some of the, the big areas that you think um, are occurring in, the, in food production generally? Yeah, so that's right. So there's big, um, uh, there's big uh, demand increases. So the population of the planet is still increasing. Um, it's, going to, it's going to reach about 10 billion people uh, within about 30 years and probably top out around there. So um, demand's increasing, and also the, the, the types of consumers changing too. More and more people are living in cities, getting more disconnected from where their food comes from. Um, but also, I think more recently, starting to appreciate that um, healthy food's probably uh, uh, a good idea, but also not just healthy for themselves, but healthy from the planet. We've seen the issue of sustainability move now to being what we call a consumer trait. So it's, it's not just in the minds of the growers of food, but it's now central in the minds of the consumers of food. So when they're going out there purchasing, they're thinking more, uh, not just about whether it's gonna taste good or be good for them, but they're thinking about things like, um, is it produced sustainably? Uh, how much fertilizer went into producing this and how much carbon was burnt in producing this food? And you know what, how much plastic am I gonna to have to throw away uh, when I get home? And um, we'll, you know, so that, that's become a really important point for consumers. So that's probably one of the major trends that we're now seeing that's, that's changing what we do in terms of the research. Um, so that's move, influenced our research to move more to addressing those um, sustainability issues more so than ever before. And one of, I think one of the big questions or confusions around sustainability and around the food that we eat is the input and also the genetics. Um, so per perhaps how can we know that, our, I guess, you know, some people say, what, what does organic 
mean or what does um, you know uh, pesticide free mean? How do we kind of really clarify to people or help them understand what um, good practices on a farm or, or in, in a vineyard or or, uh, or where they're growing the, 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 the products? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's, it is, uh, the, currently it's quite difficult for the consumer to, to find out that information that they really want. I mean, there are, there are brands like Organics um, uh, that provide um, some level of assurance around some of the inputs, but, um, but increasingly, uh, even within conventional production, uh, uh, that consumers are demanding things like spray diaries. So how often and when was the food sprayed before I've now consumed it? So we're seeing information like that, but I think that's a big opportunity for research to, to look at way, uh, developing um, whole models of the production system that allow us to minimize the amount of inputs while still um, looking at finding a, uh, producing uh, the required level of productivity. And then having some measures or um, that we can, or some, uh, some markers, if you like, of sustainability that gives the consumer some level of assurance that the food's been produced sustainably. And I think there's quite a bit of work to come, to come in that area yet. Well, I mean, what humans have been doing for thousands of years is selectively breeding um, plants and animals to optimise different traits and different, um, different uh, genetic varieties to, to benefit whatever it is that they're targeting. Um, we're now starting to see all sorts of unusual things like red kiwi fruit, for example, how, how do we do that naturally and, and are we speeding up that process or is that still a sort of a selective breeding um, that has happened naturally over thousands of years or what, what's the kind of the difference now? So, we've, yeah, so just, just going backwards a little bit. So yeah, we've just talked about um, different ways that we can uh, increase productivity by um, put inputs like uh, nitrogen and fertilizer and how we want to minimize them. So we normally look at this as sort of, sort of an equation where there's a multiple different ways that you can um, look at productivity. First is you can influence the genetics. Uh, uh, you, and then the other thing is you can do is you can uh, change the management regime. So put fertilizers on. And of course, there's the environment too. We can't do much about that, um, although uh, we are seeing climate change, so we can do something about that. But certainly, um, so those are kind of the three factors, and we call that the the, uh, the G by E by M equation for productivity. So, obviously, genetics is a really important part of that, and it has been something that humans have been um, uh, looking at and manipulating the genetics of their food crops for for thousands of years uh, and uh, it's no different today we're still doing that um, we are still looking at improving you know taste and health and productivity uh, and sustainability traits within these plants and the way that we do that there's obviously technologies come along now and there's many different ways in which we can speed up that breeding process speed is probably one of the most important factors especially for um, some of the long-lived plants, uh, perennial plants. Um, so uh, any ways that we can speed up that breeding process, the better. And also ways in which we can predict what, 
um, the plants uh, are going to look like and the sort of the traits they're going to have, the quality factors they're going to have using genetics. So one of the main advances is that um, we can use genetic markers to actually predict um, which plants um, are going to have the traits and the qualities that we want. Um, so this is there are technologies known as marker-assisted selection and genomic selection, where we do that, where we pick these on a whole genome sort of wide scale. And with whole genome sequencing now, I mean, all of our crops uh, have their genome sequenced and we can look at variants or uh, differences across the whole genome now when we're selecting um, uh, different individuals from, a, from across where we may have taken one plant, two, uh, two plants across them and to create a whole um, family from that of plants. And so we can use genetics to, to pick out the ones that we predict will have the best apples or, um, or what. So uh, that's become an important technology, really spread up the breeding process. Of course, the other kinds of technologies that have come along are genetic modification, um, where we insert genes from a, a the same or another plant. Um, and, and also more recently, uh, gene editing technology where we, we can change individual uh, letters within the, within the, uh, the genome of a, of a plant. So yes, it, uh, technologies are, are rapidly changing and, um, and becoming available for, for breeders. So uh, currently, I mean, we predominantly within plant and food research use um, uh, within our breeding programs, we, we either use classical breeding or we use marker-assisted um, breeding or genomic selection. So we're not actually using the new GM or gene editing technologies in our conventional breeding programs, our current breeding programs. But how we do use those new technologies is we, is we use them to understand um, if we did certain, uh, if we were able to breed a plant that uh, had a characteristic that we wanted, could we predict what that would look like by making some change at the genetic level? So we use it, if you like, to make uh, predictions about whether we should breed um, for a particular trait or not. So, um, uh, so it's kind of like a, a technology that we use to, to see off the things that we would breed for naturally would actually work out the way that uh, we'd like them to. So do you do that um, in the lab or do you, do you have to model that or do you have to do that overseas because that's not possible in New Zealand yet or what's the sort of the process I guess to try and use those technologies to then predict what would happen in nature? So currently genetic uh, gene editing uh, is, a, is uh, under our legislation in New Zealand a form of genetic mod uh, modification. It's not in other jurisdictions necessarily around the world, but in New Zealand it is. Uh, and we have to do that in a lab situation or at least a, um, a uh, contained glasshouse facility. So all of that work is done in what we call containment um, uh, within, within labs and similar facilities. Um, so no, we, we can't grow it in the ground outside in New Zealand, um, but it still gives us enough information about um, what these different genes do and what uh, a plant might look like with these different traits for, for us to take that information and then apply it to our conventional breeding programs. Right, yeah, so I, I didn't realise that there was um, greenhouses or there was um, genetically modified um, plants and experiments of that nature happening in New Zealand. I thought that had to be done overseas but obviously it can't be out in the open and have the potential to be uh, uh, contaminate uh, other other areas and things what 
In terms of, I think there's a lot of, there's still a lot of concern about these products or these plants. In terms of safety, because uh, I guess there's, there's two parts of the genetic technologies. One is where the parts of the, the DNA are removed or inserted or, or, um, or just reworked. And then there's an, another uh, genetically modified organism which you take a piece of uh, genetic material and then you're also adding material from another organism. And they're two quite different um, technologies. Perhaps, um, do you want to break those two down and then, and then um, talk a little bit about how some of these products are for the most part safe or, or don't have um, uh, sort of health risk. I mean, there's other unforeseen risks, I suppose, when they when there are um, in nature. But perhaps perhaps that would be something to, to kind of go into. Sure. So um, under the kind of a, uh, original sort of genetic modification technology, um, genes are typically. Uh, move from one species to another um, and uh, so this is known as transgene technology where you're moving the gene uh, gene from one species into the other um, the often I mean it's not uh, just the safety but I think there's it's more I think uh, philosophical and uh, issues and and these kind of technologies run against some sort of core values that people hold around uh around whether we should be manipulating organisms um and the genetic component of organisms i mean i, I know that for instance uh, maori for instance aren't very happy um it strikes against some of their values when you are mixing whakapapa by by taking dna from one organism and putting it into another so i think that's i think uh, a lot of the health issues around uh, uh, and safety issues around these technologies are probably um, those arguments have um, expired um, just because people have been eating transgenic GM material in other countries um, for many, many years now, for over 20 or 30 years. So I think safety is not an issue. Um, environmental compatibility is probably an issue. And I think some of the value questions are another uh, issue. Some of the new kinds of genetic modification, uh, if you like, gene, this, these new gene editing technologies that don't necessarily employ a transgene, or they make very small changes to the DNA, um, are probably much more acceptable because they don't necessarily run through across those um, those values that people hold around uh, about moving DNA from one species to another. They also, those uh, that the genetic technology often produces changes that we all naturally see anyway. So we, in, in natural species, there are lots of point mutations along within a genome, so single changes in the letters of the DNA. And that's what this gene editing technology can do. It can create very similar changes. In fact, they're indistinguishable often from the changes that we see in nature. So some of the arguments are that, well, there should be little safety concerns of all that the, that's being done is to create variants that are, we already see in nature. And if we're not adding DNA from another species, we're not sort of violating some of those core values. So gene editing's probably got a lower threshold in terms of um, public acceptance, but I think there's still quite a bit of social license work to do to understand whether 
what people think about these new technologies. Of course, they're coming so fast that um, I think they're almost coming too fast for people to understand what they are and have a good think about whether what they think about them, and then for that to be taken into account when we're looking at deploying these technologies. Yeah, I've, I've talked to a few people, and, and they've emphasised the concern that it's not the technology itself, but the possibility that you know one company could get their hands on, say, a broccoli that requires far less uh, fertilisers, or, or or and it and it grows bigger, and it you know you get these much um, better outputs. What is, is that is that I guess one of the other concerns do you think that you know one super company could kind of come on board um, and you know you monopolize all of the crops or, or is that something as well you think that might be one of these big concerns I, mean, I think it's a concern but I don't think it's necessarily connected to the technology that concern I mean that that concern is there with any kind of um, uh, you know um, you know a seed company uh, having having rights to to a seed, whether it's genetically modified or not. So I think they're, they're kind of independent concerns. Um, uh, so I don't see them necessarily as being connected. But I mean, I, uh, I th being a government organisation as we are, I mean, some of our core values are around doing what's best for New Zealand and the people of New Zealand. So we're not going to enter into sort of arrangements like that where they're not beneficial to to us as a as a as a country because our, our remit is around doing doing the best for New Zealand and New Zealanders rather than for planted food research as while we are a limited liability company you know we are also owned by the government and um, and so we have quite a different remit so, so if, it's, um, if a company if a company does um, say come up with the, this strand of, of um, crop or whatever it happens to be, do they own the IP of those seeds? Or if someone else can get their hands on those seeds, are they allowed to sell them? Or what's the sort of arrangement there in terms of the IP regarding some of these, um, some of these products? Um, it varies quite a lot. So sometimes um, uh, some of these uh, seeds or um, would be uh, if it produces a novel a crop that's deemed to have novel characteristics, uh, the, uh, the the inventors could seek protection under the Plant Varieties um, Rights Act within their country, and they could um, and then they could license those uh, those rights out to various growers and in what might be a commercial arrangement. Um, so that, that's one kind of uh, commercial model. Uh, they also. Uh, uh, the inventors also might decide to uh, publicly release the material as well. So you can, or you could have versions in between those two from a very strict kind of commercial model, where you have a very limited release right through to an open public domain release. So um, uh, we, as a we as an organisation, uh, do all sorts of um, have all sorts of different commercial arrangements. But at the core of those arrangements, are doing the best thing for New Zealand to to optimise the economic, social, environmental well-being of uh, New Zealand and the New Zealanders. So, yeah, we, we do, but we do operate commercially as well, because sometimes commercial models are the best way to ensure that New Zealand and New Zealanders benefit maximally from, from these discoveries. Um, so, 
So yes, there's a whole variety of options there. Do you think, what do you think the best thing going forward is to try and have that national discussion or have that conversation to understand what values we, we do want in New Zealand and, and how we fit in terms of our products that we consume here, but also how we kind of market our brand overseas. Because I know that that's one of the main concerns is around the, the New Zealand brand, I guess, and, and, and not having these genetically modified organisms or um, these other kind of technologies um, on our soil. Yeah, that's right. So there's an argument at the moment that um, uh, that we are gaining some uh, advantage or benefits from the fact that we are currently GE-free and that this is um, creating some sort of value-add um, to New Zealand. Um, I think I think the best way forward here is, is to open up the dialogue. It always is conversation. And I, again, I think um, uh, Māori can lead the way here with, uh, with Hui. Um, they, they understand how conversation can, can reach consensus. Um, it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't be a, um, it would be a long conversation uh, and, and people have got to respect each other's rights to hold certain views. But, I, but certainly um, uh, it's gonna be very interesting to see how New Zealand in the long term uh, can maintain uh, its its advantage uh, and its um, and its ability to produce premium products and sell them overseas without using some of these technologies, and whether um, and also the other thing that's coming at us, of course, is things like climate change, and that's the scale of change with our climate is happening so rapidly, and whether some we're going to have to consider using some of these technologies. To, uh, to be able to mitigate the effects of climate change. Already we're seeing that in a lot of our crop, crops that, the, um, that the, the season is shortening up and considerably because through temperature increases, we're seeing that plants are flowering earlier and, and that the products we're being able to be harvested much, much earlier. Every year we see those dates coming back a day or two from flowering dates to harvest dates. So, um, and that's, that's good in some aspects, but we also need some level of cooling for a lot of our crops so they actually do flower. And so if we lose that level of cooling, we're going to have to um, uh, find ways of mitigating that. And again, it might come back to genetics, whether we can select plants that um, don't need so much winter chilling and cooling um, to enable them to flower. Um, so again, um, and that we might not be able to breathe fast enough to keep up with climate change. So some of these new technologies might need to be considered. But before we can do that, I think we are going to have to have quite a considered dialogue um, with many different stakeholders in New Zealand around the use of these technologies. And you're very right that um, in saying that it's not really just about the food that we produce for ourselves. We own only a very small amount of the food that we produce is actually consumed by New Zealanders. I mean, uh, we produce enough food in New Zealand to feed 40, 40 million people. So most of our food actually goes offshore and is consumed by others. And it's also um, understanding whether those people that we feed overseas and what their thoughts are about some of these new technologies as well. Um, and they're in a diversity of countries from China, US, Europe, uh, all through Asia. So what are their views on these new technologies and what do they think about them and will they still play um, 
be willing to consume foods if we use these technologies, even if we have to consider them under climate change or, or even for sustainability, if we want to reduce the inputs and fertilizers on these and gene technologies are a way to do that where they still accept um, our products. So it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, there's no there's no kind of single solution to to all of the the issues. One of the other, um, I guess, approaches I've seen is urban farming or vertical farming, where we have you know a, a container effectively with uh, vertical crops growing in a hydroponic system that can be climate regulated because it's indoors and you can control the all of the inputs very easily do you think that we will explore some of those things in New Zealand even though we do have a lot of land here I know that's happening in other urban areas and other parts of the world but do you guys do any work with urban farming in, in that space or is that something that you guys are just kind of observing from afar um. The short answer is we're starting to, um, and the main reason we are looking at that, some of those uh, vertical farming technologies is not because we think it's, a, it's going to be the future necessarily for New Zealand in terms of production, because uh, in New Zealand we've still got a fantastic climate and we've got, I think there's a lot of advantages to, to using our outdoor soils and sunlight to, to grow um, fantastically good food. But we do think it's a possible um, uh, 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 way that we might be um, uh, that some of the mega cities around the world and Southeast Asia and China and uh, for instance might look at um, producing their own food I mean if we think about COVID-19 and the um, I'm sure a lot of people in a lot of countries around the world are thinking about food security now um, they're realizing if there's one thing they do need to make sure is that they have con guaranteed continued supply of food one thing that didn't, didn't stop over the um, over COVID-19 lockdowns is food production and um, and the requirements for food kept going. Um, so cities are thinking about producing food and if they don't have any land to produce it on, they are looking at these new technologies, Singapore and Shanghai, and uh, they're all looking at these technologies. And so what happens if those cities work out how to make enough food for them and they don't need to buy food from New Zealand anymore? So how do, how do we still make a living in a world where the, uh, the, our markets are working out how to make their own food? And the answer, probably is for us to be part of that um, disruption ourselves. So is there a role for New Zealand in developing some of these technologies and then deploying New Zealand in a box, if you like, into Shanghai that has our own, um, uh, our own cultivars in it um, and where New Zealand can still uh, have a business being part of that um, trend as well. So yes, there, we are looking at that and we think that there are opportunities for New Zealand to be part of that. Um, that doesn't mean we're not we're going to take the um, foot off the pedal in terms of developing uh, or doing research to improve our production here in New Zealand. We think that's as equally as important, but we think it's also probably wise for us to have, have a sort of a buck each way. Yeah, I think I think that's a fantastic point to um, to kind of wrap things up, and it's really fascinating talking about all of these different um, opportunities, but also the challenges um, that we have. So. I think there's going to be an interesting dialogue over the next few years and for New Zealand about all of the new opportunities that we have in this space and how we can um, rebrand or, or um, rethink how we want to sell products overseas and also create amazing food here. So uh, Richard, thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat this afternoon. Thanks for having me.
Cheers, everyone. Kia ora.